All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back for another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. We have the same lineup as our last episode. Uh, myself, Score, Jordan, and Ola. Uh, today, we have the first match of the 2023-2024 season to review and really break down what we saw from that match. Um, and I think we're going to get a lot of different uh, opinions on on that match and kind of how we looked overall. Um, to get us started, for anybody that didn't get to watch the match, a little bit of a spoiler here, but I hope that you're listening because you watched. But it was a 1-1 draw against Liverpool at Stamford Bridge uh, to start the season. And really, yeah, a draw may not be a, a, a result that's going to light the world on fire, but we will get into why, I mean, I'm thinking you guys will probably agree with me, but why I think this was a draw that really felt like more than a draw. Um, I, I think there was a lot of positives from this and I'm going to all focus a lot on what I think was the, the biggest reason for that positive and why it felt like, you know, more than a draw was because I thought watching it the first 20 minutes, we were really poor, very, very poor the first 20 minutes. Um, I mean, I mean, I know me and Jordan were texting during it and we're like, Hey, if this is how it's going to go, this is not going to, this won't last very long here. Because um, defensively, just getting ripped apart and had very little control of the game compared to Liverpool. Um, Liverpool did score a second goal. It was ruled off uh, for offsides, I believe. I actually was in the bathroom at, uh, at the pub when that was reversed, so I didn't get to see the exact actual call on that. Um, but know that it was reversed, and then, you know, we eventually do get the equalizer. Uh, and then not long after we got the equalizer, Ben Chilwell scored what looked like to be the eventual winning goal, but VAR once again ruled another goal off. So we had four goals scored, two called off, finishes as a 1-1 draw. Um, but I, yeah, I think after that initial opening 20 minutes, we were the better team and it wasn't even close. Possession, pressing, chance creation. Really, it looked to me um, like Liverpool after the second half, we're playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win. Um, that That's kind of where I see a lot of what was going on um, from that match. So I think this was a really good draw. I think this is a highly encouraging draw. I think that if we can play like this, uh, we, even with the personnel that we had, that we have a chance to be something this season. Nothing great. We're not going to win a title. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that. But we could maybe do better than six, um, which is kind of where I thought we were. But we've also got some huge news that we're going to cover as well in the second half of this episode, which is that Moises Caicedo is now a Chelsea football club player uh, after his uh, like $140 million move to Stamford Bridge. Um, that's a whole other conversation, the finances involved, but we'll talk about what it means for the squad. Um, and then if you want to hear my FFP, not really FFP rantings, you just want to hear my ranting about value-based decisions, you know where to fi find me on Twitter or X or whatever X formerly called Twitter, whatever we're calling it these days. Um, so, yeah, and then we also reportedly are locking up the Romeo Lavia deal as well. Uh, so we'll kind of talk about what that means for our midfield overhaul. Um, so, yeah, I'll let whoever wants to get in on this first get their thoughts on uh, the match, and then we can kind of just go from there. Um, hopefully. Okay. All right. And yeah, whoever wants to get us started can go ahead. I feel like I've gotten everything off my chest for, to get this going here. Yeah, I can hop on now. I, I was really, I, I was really happy about the match. I think there was kind of three things that surprised me maybe when they shouldn't have, but that are worth mentioning. So the first is after watching this team in the preseason, now the regular season, no matter the formation, Posh wants that left-sided fullback or wingback to double as an attacker. We saw that all preseason. We we saw it in this match. That whether it was Chilwell or Mots and that left side, it, it becomes an asymmetric 3-2-5 in attack. 
And I really like that, actually. I think it worked really well, which gets to my second point, which is I have not seen us play defensive possession like that since Prime Tuchel, right? Not not the first 10 games of last season, too. I mean, Prime Tuchel, that 3-2-5, that defensive possession where Liverpool couldn't even get the ball. And when they did, they lost it right away. I haven't seen us play like that in two years. Uh, and really, that is how you have a good defense. Everybody looks at these good defenses every year. It's not about the low block or the high block or intense press. It's about how well you can defend with the ball and how you press the second you lose it. And we excelled at both. So I was really happy about that. And I think that against Liverpool is a really positive sign because Liverpool destroys defensive possession teams and they could not do it against us. And then the last thing I'll say is I was not expecting to like Axel DeSassi as much as I did. But that man is good. His ball playing ability, Silva deserves all the plaudits for his ball playing ability. Obviously, Enzo does. But DeSassi was right up there with both of them yesterday. And that says a lot because they were, Enzo and Silva were fantastic. But DeSassi, in terms of that right sided buildup, he was it for Chelsea. There, he wasn't a big part of it, he was it. And it reminded me of, and I'm not saying this whole game does. But it reminded me a lot of when Rudiger was here under Tuchel on that left side. Because that, to me, is just kind of that, kind of this XG threat, right? This guy that's just going to build all of your play to get in the attacking third. And I really like that. I texted a lot. I, I can't wait to see him and Badi Shiele together, because I think that will just be awesome. So that's kind of what I have. But, yeah, overall really positive. Feels much more like a win than a draw. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with all of that. Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we we didn't start very well. Uh, I think players kind of didn't look like they knew what they were doing or it was unfamiliar, an unfamiliar formation, I think. And Liverpool were really at us really quickly as well. Uh, but once they settled down, we really controlled the game. Uh, like you say, you know, we... we you know, we kept that we had we had the vast majority of possession. I think I saw a stat that's saying that that's that's the lowest one of the lowest possessions that a Liverpool team has ever had uh, in a game. So it was the lowest they've ever had in a Premier League game. Yeah, that's what I thought. So yeah, I mean, it, it, that's an incredible stat, really. Uh, and the thing that really impressed me just overall was the fitness of the players. Um, when you think about last season, we were kind of getting tired after half an hour, you know, and calling out games and, you know, getting beaten to everything. So we, we were far fitter than Liverpool. We, we you know, we, we just, we managed to keep the intensity up for, for 90 minutes, pretty much. And Liverpool started to look tired in the second half. And that's partly because we made them look tired, but partly because we were fitter than them. And that's definitely an improvement from last year something that we really needed to work on. Obviously, it's a Pochettino's strength. We knew that was going to happen. We knew we were going to work on their fitness and their conditioning a lot more than had been worked on before. Uh, and that that was really, really encouraging for me. Um, Reese James looked like himself again. Uh, it was hadn't seen that Reese James for a long time. Uh, I wasn't surprised when he was taken off because I actually predicted before the game that the wing-backs would be taken off because Pochettino does that with his wing-backs because of the way that the intensity that his teams play. Uh, so it made sense to take Reese James off, especially with his history. And he was tired, so he's not injured, which is a good thing. And, uh, you know, um, Gusto came on and did did well. So uh, that's why we signed him. <laughs> you know? um, so that was, that, was, that was good. And obviously Enzo Fernandez was just out of this world. Um, yeah, playing in that more advanced role, which he said that Pochettino was going to give him. Uh, you know, and he didn't... And Gallagher was was behind him. Obviously, Gallagher is... I don't think he's a specialist six, but he can do that. He can press, he can tackle, he can, you know... And he, in the second half, he was really good. I was really impressed, actually, in the second half with him. But I just... I mean, just, it just made me think about, you know, you know, you thought about what what's this, what's this going to be like with Caicedo behind him instead of Gallagher. You know, um, 
and you know and now we've got Gallagher and Lavia potentially coming in as well who might sit behind him in that kind of Pochettino 4-3-3 or 4-2-1-3 or whatever um, which is basically it's 4-3-3 but a different variant um, and you think well Chelsea are going to have a lot of the ball we're going to be able to control possession and Ender's going to have a lot of freedom because he's going to have two people behind him uh, not just one so that will help, and that will help us in an attacking sense because uh, Endo is very creative um, and his passing is excellent, his vision is excellent. His link up with Reese James was really good. Reese James was getting was getting forward, getting crosses in like we know he can. Um, we created some chances that way. Yeah, I I, it, I felt really really positive about it, even though it was only a draw. I felt like we definitely improved from last season. The patterns of play were more defined. Um, there was more of a tactical setup. Um, Levi Colwell struggled in the first half. Second half, he was excellent, I thought, especially because he was playing left back a lot of the time. And he's, you know, I mean, he can play anywhere, but he's he's a, he's not a specialist left back. But he was essentially playing that position on the pitch for a lot of the game. Uh, and yeah, he was going up against Mo Salah, who's one of the best players in the world, right? Pretty much without anybody else helping him. So, um, I wish it was a baptism of fire. But yeah, I mean, I thought there was a lot of a lot of positives. Um, I think now we've got the midfield coming in, which we'll talk about later. That's going to help us, I think. Uh, if we can, you know, bring in some extra attacking thrust as well, we might have a good season, I think. You know, I think we can only get better. And it's really... And also the character as well, I would, I would say. We went behind to Liverpool. We could have been 2-0 down. Um, they were all over us. And then we came back and we fought back. We got the equaliser. And then we could have gone on and won it, won it if, we were, if we'd been a bit luckier. Um, and we were the better team for most of the game. So that's 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 an improvement on last year as well. The mentality was definitely there. I did love Dezazi. I I said from when, he, when we signed him, he just gave me really good vibes. In lots of ways, his personality, his character, uh, the kind of his celebration when he scored was just like I just loved it. Um, and you're right about his passing. You know, it was it was, very, it was pretty. It was really impressive. Um, um, yeah, and he'll. I think uh, that could be a really shrewd signing for us, both in terms of his performance, but also his mentality and his his character will be good for the, the squad as well. And he's a little bit older than a lot of the squad. He's 26, I think. So he's got a bit more experience than a lot of the squad, which again will be really helpful. So lots of positives. You know, obviously there's always areas you can improve and we will. Um, but I was I was I, I felt really good at the end of that game. Uh I didn't feel like we were gonna lose it in the second half. Uh and that's that's an improvement. I actually felt really I was excited for the first time for about eighteen months, I think. I couldn't wait for the next game. That, that's the first time I felt that for a good eighteen months. So yeah, lots of positives. Yeah, I I I liked what I saw from us. I wasn't I wasn't expecting much from the game. I expected us to lose because the 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 the, the level of players that Liverpool has at their disposal, I expected them to hurt us a lot more than they did. I think we played very well. I'm not sure if that's partly to do with how bad Liverpool was or how good we were, but we were we were quite good. And if we played that way against a a side with a worse goalkeeper than Liverpool, I think we win comfortably. So there was that. I think the formation helped us greatly. I think our structure, our pressing was efficient. But I think the fact that we went to the three at the back, and I don't believe we were not playing a three at the back. I think it was a three at the back. I think the fact that we went to three centre-backs helped us a lot. The Sassi was a lot better than I expected him to be which was good. But ultimately, I think it was a good sign, considering the fact that we played against Liverpool. Whatever we think about what Liverpool is, they have players that can hurt you when you don't play well, and they did. And it was good of us to come back. We created a lot of very good chances that we didn't convert. So on another... But yes, I like what I saw from everyone. I think everyone put in enough work to to win the game, and it just wasn't to be our day. Yeah, um, so Ola, to that end, I'll ask you, you know, who were some of your standout players, um, you know, or maybe surprise players for you 
I mean, for myself, I didn't expect to see DeSasi in the lineup, and he was. Um, you know, what was in, what was anything that stood out for you, you know, both player performance and maybe tactical that we did? Yeah, uh, Abdul DeSasi. His passing was very good. He stopped a lot of threats in midfield before they became – before they developed. He he was strong winning his duels. He he was switched on all game. Uh, I would say the goal we considered, you could, you could make a case that p- perhaps shouldn't have let Luis Diaz get in front of him. But for a, for a Premier League debutant, I think he was excellent. Uh, Thiago Silva was also – very good, but that wasn't a surprise to me. I wasn't that surprised by by um, Colwell. I think Colwell played. He did okay for a Premier League game. He was not good in the first half, but I think that was partly because he was marking Mo Salah. In the second half, it wasn't particularly, it wasn't spectacular, but he was good enough to to not expose us, or rather, he was he was good enough for for a Premier League defender. But Arthur Disaster was definitely the one who surprised me the most. And he, he, he got a goal to, to tie the game up as well, which we needed. So Arthur Disaster for me. I just want to chime in there because I think this kind of quote-unquote formation and Disaster go hand-in-hand. Hand. It seemed to me like Pochettino wanted his fullbacks, which in this case were Colwell and Disaster, to allow the the quote unquote wing backs who are really more wingers and Reese James and Joel to push far up the pitch. And that's why I think a lot of times you saw one of Colwell and DeSassi in full pack positions. It was especially Colwell, but DeSassi did it a little bit too, right? Kind of like they act as a stopper so the wing back can become an attacker. And I think that's key. And I think that's something we will likely see from Poch the remainder of the season, no matter what the starting formation is. The the kind of outside center back slash the fullback on the side of the pitch where the ball is will play more as a stopper kind of slash fullback than they will as a center back. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'll get some of my thoughts in on this. I think what was interesting is, A, that we played a back three. Um, I, I know Jordan and I had been, you know, cautiously – I don't, want to, I don't know if optimism is the right word, but uh, at least we had some suspicions that we were going to be playing a back three as soon as the Nkunku injury happened. Um, and to see that actually play out was pretty nice. And I know tactically that it shifted around a lot, but at the end of the day, we did start three center backs, right? And we both discussed how Jordan primarily that, you know, our, our, our best players are right now in the defensive phase. So it wouldn't be any surprise to see uh, a lineup that starts three center backs, right? However you want to think about it, whether if it, you start three center backs, does that mean you're playing a back three? No, but it is indicative of some way and shape form of how you're going to transition and shuffle that around based upon where you are in the field, so on and so forth. Um, I think furthermore, what was super interesting, if you look at our um, our pass buildup network maps or you know whatever those are, pass maps, it is a heavy, heavy, right-sided buildup, right? And the way in which we were doing it was super interesting. We created this numerical superiority on the right side of the pitch, and we used a lot of uh, Raheem Sterling and particularly Reese James to do that work. And I think what's so nice about that is that, let's be honest, Reese James is probably our best overall player. So the more that we can get him on the ball, specifically in wingback roles, which I've discussed on this podcast and on, you know, and on X, formerly called Twitter, uh, you know, I've been discussing too how let's not mess with Reese James's skill sets. You know, a wing backish type role is the best for him. Um, it just has the shortest career span. So there's that trade off. You know, maybe he's going to be a flame that burns incredibly bright, but not for a terribly long time. I don't know. But anyway, I think that's best to have him there. We were having him involved in those buildups a lot, right? Um, and that was key because if you – and then I think the more important thing, though, is how we created that numerical superiority on the right side in the buildup play, that overload. But then we left that left side, it left us very open because Liverpool are not just going to man-mark the entire back line, uh, you know, front line that Chelsea is going to be sending against them. That's basically tactical suicide in some ways. So, right, they're going to be committed to fielding that right half. Well, in that case – that allowed Chilwell to get super high up the field. And if you look at a lot of his like average positioning in these buildup maps, 
he was literally in direct line um, with Nicholas Jackson a lot of the time. So we're, we're basically being able to like heavily load the right side and then tilt the whole formation to shove Chilwell high up is almost like a wide forward and then have Jackson shift closer right to that right side buildup. So then that's going to let Chilwell not only have that Island flank if we switch, but he can make some type of run into the channel or he can make a diagonal run between the, the, the remaining defenders. And it's going to give him more of those time, you know, more of those opportunities. And I think that's another thing I've been saying is even more than Reese is Chilwell is an incredible attacking player. And I really like the tactical plan of, you know, everybody's going to put the focus here on Reese James from the wingbacks, but we all know Chilwell's good. You know, so let's play right into that and then hit him, hit him uh, with a Chilwell run. And I think we saw that a lot yesterday where Chilwell was heavily involved. Um, so, yeah, I think that was really interesting. That's one big thing that stuck out to me. Uh, it's tactically, it's not terribly advanced, but it's, uh, I, I think it was good and unique and how it worked, especially given how I think you can get at on that left wing, you can get at Liverpool's right side pretty easily. Um, a lot of people wanted, uh, you know, Mikhail Mudrick to start for that reason. Um, but I'm going to be interested to see what we do going forward, because if we're going to use Chilwell more in this, you know, build up play, basically playing as a wide forward uh, the rest of the season, that'll be interesting. And I think it'll be really, really interesting what this team does to change once we get Christopher and Kunku back in 2024. But yeah, I'd say my standouts, I haven't even touched upon Enzo with everything I had just said. Um, I mean, brilliance was as everything he was doing yesterday. It was uh, a, a, just an incredible performance from start to finish. I, I was kind of critical of Carney. I, I just haven't really seen much that that really wows me from him. Not saying that he's bad. I just don't see much that gets me excited right now. Um, and I think that given what we've just done in the market today, there's very good likelihood we will not be seeing him in a starting role uh, really for much of the way forward, which that's okay. He's a young guy. If he just gets rotational minutes, that's probably going to be enough for this season. Um, I already touched upon Enzo. It's almost like you should touch upon him twice. I think DeSassi had an up and down day. I think early on he was really struggling um, and kind of had a little bit of fault for the goal. I actually was kind of the first goal is kind of critical of Sanchez because we had to listen a lot of, you know, Kepa being criticized for his um, perceived lack of goalkeeping technique. Then, you know, I don't see how you don't do that yesterday with Robert Sanchez who goes for a low dive and fails to extend the, the, the leading arm. That's, um, for me, that's a mistake, no doubt. I mean, you not, you never sort of like half chop and at the same time try to scoop your arm. You're literally taught not to chop your arm down. You're taught to let it hit and slide so you extend and it can have maximal coverage of um, with that arm when you're diving to your, you know, if you're diving to your right or your left. So I, I found that. I, I think I texted you, Jordan, and was like laughing at that whenever it happened. Um, so, so, yeah, I was a little critical of Sanchez in that regard. I don't think his shot stopping is going to be up to par from what we've uh, previously seen with Keppa. And there was also a long shot that, uh, that hit the crossbar um, from, from Osawa. And I think he, he actually did well to cover it because it was an upper 90 shot. Um, so it, I, I, I'm just looking at those little compare contrasts for a lot of the things that people didn't like Keppa for. Cause I, I want to make, I just want to make sure if, you know, we're going to hate on one guy for it, let's hate on the next guy for it. Um, not saying Sanchez was all bad because I'm going to touch upon what I think he did well, which was first, I think in the air, he was really well, uh, or did really good yesterday compared to what we've previously seen with Keppa, who also, we all know that's like his biggest weakness is, is basically anything in the air in his box. So I think that we saw that aspect of Sanchez where he was better in that regard. And you even saw late on the game where his like quick claim at the cross started an immediate transition counterattack that, could have potentially been on a, a better in product, but it was some great goalkeeping from Allison deny any angle uh, for, for Mudrick to shoot over him there at the end. It was like the 93rd minute, almost the end of the game. Uh, I think that, so I think for me, Sanchez having stepped in from the cold um, so, so soon, I actually think he did pretty good yesterday. I, I think he was fine. Um, yeah. He had the mistake, I think on the first goal. And then I, I know the second one got called off and I didn't see it, but um, you know, I heard that, uh, you know, there was potential stuff there. I saw some people questioning it. I didn't get a good view of it, so I won't really speak myself on it. I'll just know what I heard others say. So I think those are kind of the standout guys for me. I know Sterling was good yesterday, but um, I need to see more than one match from Raheem Sterling after how many, you know, stinkers I've seen this guy drop since he took on the dark blue kit from Manchester. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of where I would leave it. Uh, Score, do you have any other 
any you know what what anything else stood out to you yesterday? Um, I think what I think I really liked Nicholas Jackson. I really, I really liked the runs he was making, um, the positions he was getting in, his work rate. He was you know he wasn't static at all. He was you know he was he was you know he moved around a bit, shifted to the left and to the right as well, and he got in good positions as well. He was getting in good positions regularly. Like he had one like really really good clap, good good chance, which didn't didn't work out. But he gave me a lot of confidence that he's going to be he's going to be a really good player for us. Like um, looked dangerous, you know, and not just in front of goal, but his physicality, his work ethic, his movement, you know, everything. It was uh, I was really impressed with him. Uh, really impressed. And he will score goals. He will absolutely score goals for us. Um, not saying he's going to get 20, 25 goals, but you know, he will get, I reckon he'll get at least 15 Premier League goals. Uh, uh, you know, hopefully more, hopefully more, but we'll see. Uh, I mean, he's going to be, he's going to miss about four or five games with um, Africa Cup of Nations. So um, he probably won't get 20 goals, but yeah, I was really impressed with him. And I, uh, Yeah, and I'm just really, uh, I was just, I, I'm just really impressed overall with the quality of the signings that we're making, generally, because um, the signings that we are making, these smart signings, that they all seem to be working. You know, I mean, if you go going back to January, you know, Adi Ishil, you know, um, came in straight away and did well. Medawiki did well when he got a run, uh, you know. Um, Dizazi, okay, wasn't brilliant to start with, but generally had a, I thought had a really good game and looks a promising player. Uh, even um, Leslie Ugochukwu when he came on, he wasn't on for long, but he, but he, but he did a lot. Like, um, I mean, I couldn't believe how tall he was. He was massive. I hadn't seen a player that big in midfield for Chelsea since Matic left. It was, it was actually really refreshing to see, and he made a really important block, like a really important block at the end. Because he deflected a shot that might, might have gone in and went over. Uh, so I was, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't on for long, but still impressed me. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I think the reason he got on over Santos was because of his height, um, his physicality, um, and his defensive prowess. I think he was just, well, he just felt that he was more of the kind of player that we needed to, we needed on. And I, and I was, I was impressed with him. So we keep making these really smart signs, which are good signings, you know. Even the money, the big money signings have been good. I mean, Enzo Fernandez, 105 million pounds, but nobody talks about the price anymore because he's just a brilliant player and he's going to get better. I mean, it's quite scary how good Enzo Fernandez could be, to be honest. He's only 22 uh, and he's not played yet with a proper DM behind him. When he does, I, I can't imagine what he's going to be like, especially with Pochettino coaching him because po Pochettino, we know, improves players. So, yeah, um, I was just yeah, I was just I just had a lot of positive energy from from this game. Um, I'm not, I don't feel so worried now about us making bad signings that are going to flop because we've got I think we've got good scouts. I think we've got all the people that are working for us. You can talk about their negotiation skills; that's a different conversation. But their ability to spot talent, I think, is very very good. Which compared to what we had before when we were kind of Saying no to you know sure many and bringing in Saul instead, um, and signing back Yoko and you know drink water and whatever, um, it's such an upgrade uh, and it's it's really refreshing. So yeah, I think there's a lot of promise overall, um, and yeah, so there's a lot to look forward to. One thing I'll say I'm really excited for, and this is kind of an in the future thing, but also a current thing. Our center back room is stacked. Like, if we're going to play a back three or a back four that ostensibly becomes back three in possession, all of a sudden you learn how to play Tiago Silva again. Uh, and he was phenomenal. The, I think DeSassi, I think Badushile, and I think Caldwell all have different talents, but the potential to be absolutely elite Premier League players. And I know he's going to be coming back from a major injury, and frankly, he may just deal with injury problems his entire career and be nothing. But people are discounting Fofana. Like, there's this narrative that he was terrible last year, and 
by no measure do I think that is true. I think he was great last season when he was able to play. And if there's some way he can come back and not have major injury issues, like that's another guy. And then all of a sudden he kind of replaces Silva's spot in that press center back room. And you have four amazing center backs. So I'm really excited about that. Is the center back fan on this podcast. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see when he does come back. We're going to have so many uh, center backs that are going to be up to a high standard, or at least we at least think they will be uh, to a high standard. So I think, yeah, we covered a lot of the Liverpool match. Um, I think we should kind of shift now to the the transfer news that kind of just broke today, uh, which is that Moises Caicedo has, has finally made his move to Stamford Bridge. And it sounds like Romeo Lavia is also about to lock up his move uh, at Stamford Bridge. And we're talking here like 200, 210 million dollars between these two moves so um yeah I'll, I'll just start and i'll let you guys get your thoughts i think that you know financially speaking let's just i think that caicedo is a huge overpay hold on one sec I think that it's a it's definitely an overpay for a defensive midfielder right um i don't see how it's not an overpay in that regard so if you look at declan rice uh with everything that he was you know had done in the premier league given where he was 105 million pound fee. I just think that if that's going to be the barometer for the level of production that he showed at that position for the length that he showed it, that, you know, Caicedo market value is, is not equal to Declan Rice should probably be around 60 ish. Right. You can't say a guy with six months production is worth a guy with five years of production. Right. That's just, we're worth more. I'm sorry that the talent difference Talent is one thing, but you need to bet on production first, right? When they're prospects, we bet on talent. When they've been in a league for a while and I'm making that heavy of an investment, I'm going to want talent married to a production profile. And I don't think that Caicedo is there yet. Um, so it's not that he's a bad player. It's not that I don't think the talent is good. It's not that he, I don't think he'll be a great partner for Enzo for many years to come. It's just simply market economics. That's, that's where my gripe is. It's market econ, right? So that's, that's my gripe with that. It's just the opportunity cost as well of how much money we spent on him that we could have then allocated to other positions of need as well to help build a more complete squad. Um, there's just a lot of things that you could have done differently with it. Okay, so but but the the key here is that Caicedo and Pochettino don't control the valuation that Brighton had. That's their own valuation. If the seller is willing to say this is what it is, the buyer is willing to meet it. Okay, so it goes. So now I'm not going to place, you know, any any negative context on Caicedo going forward uh, because of his price. He doesn't control that. The manager doesn't control that. That's something between buyer and seller, and that that agreement between buyer and seller is apparently really not considering market, you know, values there. Um, so that's my first, you know, if I'm going to get the bad out of the way first, I think that's the bad with that move. Um, but if I'm going to talk tactically, what I think this guy is going to offer, um, yeah, I think he's going to be a great player for us. We're going to get a lot out of him and Enzo combined. I think that's going to be the, the key here is how this duality is about to form between these two. Um, and then I think from that, you know, there's maybe other ways that we could have done the same thing with Enzo, you know, like Tyler Adams and just a very pure destroyer defensive midfielder probably would have done the same thing. And those tend to not be too terribly expensive on the market, but what Caicedo does, it's more than just that that destroyer types. I think he actually can have some type of progressive play to him. Um, whether that's, you know, dribbling, you know, passing, I think he has that more in him a little bit than uh, some others do. Um, so, and, and then given his, his age, as well as how we evaluate and uh, predict his talent to progress in the future. Yeah. I mean, it, and if we have him for eight years, which I, that's a whole other thing, I highly doubt we have any of these players for eight years. Um, cause we seem to never do when we, you know, we sign players and they're going to be here forever and they, they never are. It's always usually a cyclical successional process, um, with, with, you know, player turnover, so, yeah, I think that tactically it's going to be – I'm not going to think about the fees. It's going to be a lot of, you know, nice things that he offers, um, and I'm very excited for him. And then Lavia, I think, is way more raw and young and inexperienced um, and is probably going to still be learning a lot this season. He'll he'll help us do some things, no doubt. He's still competent and going to probably get plenty of starting minutes. But I think this is more about developing him next to those two for this season and then really getting a role 100% solidified later down the road. But, yeah, I'll, I'm going to go ahead and stop there. And, uh, yeah, see what you guys got to say about these huge new signings for us. 
I want to chime in on Caicedo largely because I made this giant Twitter thread like that looked at him statistically and people are like, oh, how do you hate Caicedo? And it's like, no, I, I, I don't. I actually think Caicedo is a great player. What I think isn't getting talked about is, one, his ability carrying the ball and generally moving the ball just isn't great. Like, it's, it, 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 is it something that can improve? Absolutely. Is it something where I feel comfortable with him having the ball for long periods of possession right now? Absolutely not. What I think Isaido does really well is he stops play, like he breaks apart play, and he's really good at first phase buildup where you could receive the ball and dump it forward. And then when if things get messed up in the second phase, he can receive the ball and recycle possession. I also made this point that I do not think he is in Golo Kante. I keep seeing that he's in Golo Kante, and I think it's largely because Frankly, he said N'Golo Kante is one of his favorite players, and people assume this guy who makes a lot of tackles must be like Kante. But, I mean, Kante was averaging almost two more ball wins per 90 than Caicedo has ever. Um, And and it's just like, that's not bad. And I think Caicedo reminds me much more of a Fabinho, who, by the way, like, is one of the best defensive midfielders in the last 20 years in the Premier League. And that's what Caicedo reminds me of. He's a play stopper. He's a, de- he's a destroyer, but not in the way Conte is a destroyer. He's much more positionally disciplined and he's not going to travel super far up the pitch like Conte did. Conte was, I mean, I mean that, that thing about like how so much percent of the world is covered by land and the rest is covered by Dingold Conte, that, that's for a reason. Not every player Chelsea signed are going to be position-defining generational players like N'Golo Kante was. Like, just like every player we sign, every attacker isn't going to become Hazard. And I think people are trying to do that with Caicedo, and I, I think they're going to be disappointed. Whereas if you think of Caicedo, is almost like a Fabinho-style halfback, right? Like a six that ostensibly can be a defense or a, can be a center back in the first phase of buildup. I think Isaido has the potential to be one of the greatest in the Premier League at that, and very, fairly quickly, too. And so I, I really like Isaido. I just think that, A, the fee for what we're going to get is a lot, but kind of to the point score raised earlier about Enzo, if he plays super well, nobody's going to even talk about the fee anymore. But but it is an overpay, Travis. I agree. I, I think it's just clearly an overpay. But I also think it's an overpay that, Given what seems to be like after Tyler Adams failed medical, a lack of targets, I don't really think that like there's anything we could do. So I'm happy about that. I, I, I think I said it was going to be great for us. I, I, I do want people to check out my Twitter thread, I'm not trying to self promote, but I think it's, I spent a lot of time on it. But Pete, you need to read the whole thing. Like, I'm really not that negative on the guy. I'm pretty positive, but I'm just saying that he's not. Lavia is another story. I I am pretty concerned uh, about Lavia in the short term. I I mean, this guy has Mateo Kovacic's potential, and I only mean that in the good ways. Like, his ability to dribble and to move the ball with his feet is absolutely elite, let alone for a 19-year-old. But, I mean, he is – people watched him in big matches, and this guy's a big match player. In smaller matches, I mean, Southampton fans, like, they couldn't wait till this guy got benched to get rid of him. Like, he makes so many mistakes in possession. So, with that said, I actually think Caicedo is really good for Lavia because Caicedo means Lavia doesn't need to be that sick. Lavia can be a 6-8 like Kovacic was and not have to worry about being, like, the key defensive cog. So, again, do I think Lavia is a bit of an overpay? Yeah, but with Lavia, you're paying mainly for potential, which is the elite of the elite-style potential. So, I'll end there. All right. Um, Anyone who knows me knows I've been campaigning for about five or six years for us to address the midfield seriously. Uh, I think it's, it's an absolute shambles that, and this is largely from the previous ownership, that it wasn't addressed for so long. Uh, that 
you know, um, Matic, Matic left, and we didn't, we never, we never replaced him because uh, Jorginho is not a, I wouldn't call him a defensive midfield player. Um, he's got his own qualities. Don't get me wrong, he has. He's got his own qualities, but I don't, I don't see him as a, you know, a sitting defensive midfield player uh, or or a destroyer. And we haven't had one of those. Um, and so, you know, yes, and I agree with both of you that it's obviously both of them are overpaying because that's the market. Unfortunately, um, there's not many of these of there's not many kind of six profile players out there and big clubs want them at the moment. So inflation is going to be inflation. And unfortunately that is the market. I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't like it. And I don't think, I don't think it's good for the game, uh, but it is what it is. And we really needed to buy an absolute, you know, the best we could possibly get, you know, um, and uh, I do, you know, I've, I've, we've signed two very young players who will both improve. Um, their stats will improve, their data will improve. Um, and and Tysano, you know, I mean, even from the interview today, it seems like he's loved Chelsea since he was a kid. You know, that this was his lifelong dream to play for Chelsea, which, you know, I know that some, some people kind of dismiss that kind of thing, but I... When it's genuine, I think that that can be a really good thing. Um, that you know, he wants to. He's not in Kante. I mean, nobody is in Kante. Nobody will be in Kante. He was a unique player. Um, I don't think there'll be anyone like him in the game again. Uh, but uh, but he, I think, I, I think both of these players can be very, very good players. Uh, and they're different players. They're different kinds of players, like you both of you said. Uh, and La, I mean Lavia, like the, I mean Joe Shields is very, very strong on Lavia, and he's, I mean he's one of the, I think he's one of the best scouts in in the game. Um, he had Lavia at Manchester City, and he brought himself better out. than McLaughlin. Uh, yeah, I'm better than McLaughlin. I'm better than Scott McLaughlin with respect. Like, I think all of us are better than Scott McLaughlin. <laughs> but yeah, I know, I know what you mean. But I have, I don't have much respect for him because of the damage he did to Chelsea. But. Uh, like you know, like getting get signing Saul instead of Shumani, uh, not signing Declan Rice when he was like younger and cheaper, you know. I mean, like, the list goes on basically. Not signing Harlan because for 20 million because he didn't think he did that to the Premier League, you know. That this like we could have had all those three players for about 100 million if you know, if if Scott McLaughlin hadn't been around anyway. Um, Yoshield is an excellent scout, one of I think he's one of our best hires. Um, his ability to spot talent is incredible. Um, like I said, he had he had Lavia at Manchester City, and he brought him to Southampton, and now he's at Chelsea. He's bringing him to Chelsea. He rates him very, very highly. Uh, and again, we've got the right manager to develop him. We've got a manager who's really good at developing young players, uh, managing players, managing young players, um, getting their mind right, getting their mentality right, uh, and. And I think you know that 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 will that will that will that will see us get the best out of Lavia. And if Lavia reaches his potential, he will be a world class midfielder. Like but he's not there yet; he's quite raw. That's exactly what Jordan said. Like he's he's still quite raw, but the potential is there. And if we can just channel that and develop that uh, in a better side than Southampton, I mean, crikey, um, much better side than Southampton, then we've got a great player uh, and. Caicedo is more immediate improvement. I think he comes, he gets into the team and he immediately improves us because he's a profile we haven't had. Um, and he's of a certain quality and a certain level. And he has Premier League experience. Even if it's only 18 months, he still has Premier League experience. Um, and he's been very good in the Premier League. So I'm, apart from the price, I think we've made some, some really good acquisitions there. Uh, and we've set ourselves up really, our midfield up for the next 10 years because we've got, You've got Enzo Fernandez, who's 22. We've got Lavia, who's 19. We've got um, Caicedo, who's 21. And then outside of that, we've got Santos, who is um, 19. And we've got Leslie Gachukwu, who is, I think he's, is he 19 as well? 18 or 19? Uh, who looks, who look, again, looks another great talent. Uh, and obviously, we've got Kani Chakramenka as well. And we've got Cassidy. So, and not all of those are going to make it at Chelsea, but some of them will. And 
that was an area we really needed to address and we've addressed it. And that's a really that's a really important thing we needed to do as a club. If we're going to be successful, you can't be successful unless you've got a world-class midfield. I, I always feel like the midfield is the engine room of the team. I've always been a my favorite players are generally midfield players, you know. So um my favorite footballer of all time is Frank Lampard, you know. So um yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased we've got these players. Um, because we needed the we needed players in these positions. Obviously, they're overpriced, but I think they'll turn out to be really good players for Chelsea over the long term, especially. And um, so overall, I think it's a good thing for Chelsea that we brought these players in. So that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I like the Caicedo signing in the sense that he's a very good player. Who, I mean, I think what Brighton was doing, the kind of style they were playing, is not dissimilar to what Chelsea will be playing. And that's why I think Caicedo will be fantastic for us. I think his ball winning is excellent. I I think the only thing that differentiates him from Kante is the ball carrying. I think you you can't really get close to Kante in terms of ball winning, to be fair. And in that sense, I think Caicedo is as good as you're going to get. With, with, with Kante, you hit the jackpot. You can't plan for that. You can't go into the market looking for a Kante. I think Kaiseido is excellent at ball winning. I think the it's it's true that we're overpaying for him, but again, a signing is only expensive if he doesn't perform. You've mentioned how happy we are with the Enzo signing. It's a bit worrying if we have uh, two players worth over two hundred and thirty million over 220 million pounds that are ultimately not ball, not um, match winners. But from what I saw against Liverpool, I think with Caicedo coming in and Lavia, what we have is a rehabilitated midfield. I've said before that we don't need, we didn't need to revamp the defence, we didn't need to revamp the attack. It's the midfield that needed to be to be revamped because in all the midfield the 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 rebuilds we've done the the midfield has stayed the same and the midfield is quite an important part of 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 your play whatever system it is you're trying to play so I think in that sense Kaisido is is excellent for us I think he his ball progression is is good enough for what we need more than good enough for what we need I don't think we need him to be Kante levels. I don't think we need his passing to be Enzo levels, considering that we have Enzo. So in in that sense, I, I would I have paid 115 million for Caicedo. Maybe not, but then again, we needed someone who we needed someone who I wouldn't say we're sure because every 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 transfer has a gamble to it, but. There were not that many options that were glaring in the market. And sometimes you want the player, I just put the money down and get the player. Whether the player turns out to be good for you or bad for you is something you find out later. Teams have spent astronomical amounts of money on, on players and they've not regretted it because if you do good scouting for players and a player fits what you're trying to do, you might as well go get the player whatever they'll cost. I'm happy we're also able to get Lavia over the line because I don't think Lavia is at the stage where we can hang our hopes on him for 38 games in a season if he's fit for that long. And I don't think he would be. But I think Lavia coming in in the circumstances he has come in puts less pressure on him because if we are playing a double pivot, he's not going to start over Caicedo or Enzo. If we are playing a midfield three, he will start alongside those two players. And that will be very good for him. He doesn't need to come in and all eyes are on, are on him. Every goal we concede, they will look for, oh, where, where is Lavia and all of this? He's a young player and why he's not the one that costs over 100 million? The Premier League has a lot of scrutiny and young players need to be managed very well. Not necessarily eased in, but managed very well. Don't 
gaslight them, don't lie about their performances, don't pretend they are excellent when they had bad games, just manage them well, tell them the truth. Jose Mourinho says uh, a lot of times that you need to tell your players the truth. There's no need to to lie about what you don't believe. So I think I think he'll be fine. I'm happy with the way our midfield is now. And again, I think if we if we play as well as we did against Liverpool, against a team not as strong as Liverpool, we'll probably win very comfortably. And that's that's good enough for me. Yeah, I think a lot of your kind of remark there is why it makes it easier to swallow uh, the price that we had to pay for Caicedo is that, you know, the market is what it is. And, you know, we do have to kind of get somebody in there. And if the market's thin, then we just have to kind of live with that and cope with it and do the best we can within that dynamic. Um, and because if we didn't, if somebody else would assign Caicedo, you know, over us, give it enough time. But, yeah, I don't know if you guys have any – anybody has any other uh, final remarks uh, about any of the transfers or MASH? Yeah, I feel like I don't really have much else to say. I, I, I'm excited. You know, just what the score was saying at the very beginning, you know, I'm very excited for the next match as well. And it was, uh, I mean, I even agree with you. It was a huge match. Um, and it felt like the vibes were different. Like it was the busiest I've seen in supporters group since I've been running it. Um, you know, it was a really electric environment yesterday. And it was almost an entire Chelsea crowd. There's very few Liverpool fans there compared to us. So it was really good. It was really fun. And I'm looking forward to the next match against West Ham. Um and it's just going to be – I think this season is going to – it already feels a lot like the Conte season where the expectations are not terribly high. So anything that we do is just kind of a free hit at this point. So I'm not saying we're going to win a title. Uh, I highly doubt that's going to happen. But, you know, I think this has the vibe of we're not having these lofty expectations. So any good we have along the way is just going to be that much sweeter. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to get a win again, uh, uh, in this upcoming weekend on Sunday, another 1130, uh, Eastern kickoff for us, uh, against West Ham. So it's going to be another good match. I think we'll, we'll, we'll have the better of them though. Um, and I'm really looking forward to see if we can get these new signings integrated in the, into the team and how quickly they assimilate. So, uh, yeah, until next time, everybody keep the blue flag flying high and looking forward to playing this season out with you over the mic throughout the rest of the season. Thanks everybody for joining me on this episode and thanks for everybody for listening.